Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on September 26th, Lord's Day service. text this morning is the book of Leviticus chapter 2. We will read some verses from chapter 2 and then from chapter 3 as well. Leviticus chapter 2, third book in the Bible. Verses, we'll begin with verses 1 through 5. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, And he shall pour oil on it, and put frankincense on it. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from its handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense. And the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is a most holy offering to the Lord made by fire. And if you bring an offering of grain baked in the oven, it shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil, or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But if your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be a fine flour, unleavened, mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. Skip with me down to verse 11. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey, in any offering to the Lord made by fire. As for the offering of the firstfruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And every offering of your grain offering shall you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings you shall offer salt." Then let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifices of the peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is the wood that is on the fire, as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma unto the Lord. If his offering as a sacrifice of a peace offering is for the is to the Lord of, is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving away into your presence. We thank you for making it clear how we may walk not only before you, but come unto you with joy. May we do this very thing this day. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. 
Amen. We come today to the second and third offerings that are taught in the book of Leviticus. The first three offerings that we see, the, the whole burnt offering or the ascension offering that we covered last week, and both of these in chapters 2 and 3, they are not for sin. No, the offerings that we'll, we'll look at in the future, those are actually uh, for sin, but these two, excuse me, these three provide a way to return to the presence of God. Adam lost the ability to come into God's presence. No one before, up until this time, could go when he wanted before the Lord. But in the book of Leviticus, especially the first three chapters, we have a way that is provided. Not only do you come up to the tabernacle, which represents the presence of God, but this, these sacrifices, these offerings, tell us how we may come into the presence of God. We said that the ascension offering, the whole burnt offering from last week, is one that you brought as a gift or a ransom to come into God's presence because everything within the tabernacle was holy. It was set apart. And the people coming in were not holy. They were common, so they needed to come and bring an animal. The priest would inspect the animal, and then you, the one who was offering it, would kill it at the door, at the gate of the tabernacle. You would cut it up, and the priest would then clean it, that is the inside, and he would sprinkle the blood on the items in the tabernacle and burn the sacrifice entirely every bit of it on the altar, and it would ascend to God as a sweet aroma. But again, that's, that, that's just to get in. That's just the first offering. That's what allows you to come into the presence of God. But it would be rare that you would only go up to the entrance of the tabernacle and offer the animal and then turn and go. Remember, having an animal was a very precious thing, and it's particularly the type of animal you would bring. This is not just, you know, this is not like you're going to offer Fido your pet, okay? This is something, that, uh, an animal that you'd been taking care of, that you had made, that he was the best. He could probably fetch a good bit of money if you were to sell this animal on the market. So when you take account of the burnt offering, here, and then you also would have another animal potentially that is a peace offering. And then you're bringing grain that you had grown for your, your grain offering. This is a costly thing. It costs something to come into God's presence. I want us to look a little bit more specifically now at, at the grain offering itself. It's you know, just grain like that they would grow barley or wheat that they would grow in the field. And this could be any number of things. And some of the language can be kind of confusing because it can be just a handful of grain. But there would also probably, with that handful of grain that would be burned on the altar, there was also a loaf of bread. There, you would have prepared this loaf already and you would bring it 
as well, along with a handful of grain. It had to be unleavened, and that the grain and the bread would be salted, and we will look at that a little bit more later on. So it would, be, it would have salt added to it, it would be mixed with oil and frankincense, and then the grain itself would be poured on the altar, and it would ascend to God, it says, as a sweet aroma. Then the priest would eat the rest of the bread. This is part of how the priest had their, their physical needs provided. Is from Some of it was the offering of bread that, that people would bring, this grain offering. But the picture was when you bring this, that you are giving food, you, you're sharing your food with God. So you would bring it, and when it would ascend to Him, it was as if He would receive it. Now we know that God didn't literally eat the food. He says in Psalm 50, I don't need food. I'm not hungry the way that you are. I own it all anyway. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That doesn't mean you can find the thousand and first hill where there's a cow that doesn't belong to God. Okay, That is language that means he has it all. So when the people would bring their grain, they were saying that all of this is God's and I'm giving a portion back to Him. So that is the grain offering. But then the next is called the peace offering. Now when we think of the word peace, we think of the absence of animosity. So if you're at peace with someone, that means you're not fighting with this person anymore. Well, that's a good thing. That, that's great. And, and yes, the people were grateful that, that God was not angry with them, but there's more to this peace offering than that. The word peace that's translated peace in, from the Hebrew is one here that it means more than just no longer is there malice. It means that now there is flourishing. There is abundance. So when we're told to seek by, by Jeremiah, when, when he tells the people to, when they're exiled in Babylon, seek the peace of the city, he's not saying, act like the police and break up any fights that you find. No, he's saying seek the blessing, the well-being, the flourishing of that place. Well, that's the same thing that's referred to here. It's from the same root. When he says that this is a peace offering, it is an offering of well-being. It's you, the one who's bringing the offering, saying, I have been blessed by God. I have received abundantly from Him, and I'm going to bring this animal to Him. You're offering the animal from a heart of gratitude. From God at God's provision. So you wanted to come to Him, you would bring the whole burnt offering, you would come into the holy space, into God's presence, and you could bring, yes, you could bring the grain offering and or you would bring a peace offering if you chose. Now the way the peace offering was handled, it was very similar in the initial steps to the whole burnt offering. You had the inspection of the animal, it, the animal would be killed, it would be butchered, and then you know, the, the internal portions would be cleaned. But, they would, but here's where it would, the, the similarity ends. 
Because with the peace offering, only the fat, the kidneys, and what's called the, the fatty lobe, a portion of fat that's above the liver, that's the only part that would be cooked on the altar. That is the portion that would ascend to God. The rest of the animal would be cooked. It would be roasted, but it would be eaten by the priest and the person and likely the family who had, who had brought this animal. Think of it like this. This is an individual or a family Thanksgiving meal. You would bring the animal there because you're, you're, you're grateful. It could be any number of reasons why you were grateful. You've had a good harvest. You had several animals that gave birth successfully and they all lived. Or you are just very thankful for any number of things and you're bringing this animal and you're having a party. That is not what we think of when we think of the ancient sacrificial system. We don't think people having a party in the presence of God, but that is what was going on. They're taking this animal, they're roasting it, it is going up to God as a sweet savor, and then the, family, the, 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 the father, his family, and even potentially friends could come as well. Whoever this household brought with them, they would come and they would eat because they were glad. Now one qualification, in order for the people to come in, they had to be, come into the tabernacle, they had to be ritually pure. They could not come in if they had touched something dead or it, think of it like this, and, and we'll, there'll be an entire sermon on this later on, but anytime there's something within your body, any type of bodily fluid, most often it would be blood of some sort. If you either, if you had bled significantly or if you touched someone who had bled, who'd been bleeding, then you were ritually impure. And there was a, a way that you'd go about being ritually cleansed and we'll talk about that later on. But the people who would come in, they had to be ritually pure. They would be like essentially clothed, almost, not clothed in physical garments, but ritually they would be like priests for a time. Because you're coming now before God. So when we think of all this together, these first three sacrifices, and maybe you've read about some of the sacrifices before, it can sound, this system can sound harsh. Because we're not used to this. What do we do? We come to church. We show up, we enjoy fellowship, we worship, and we go home. There's not anything, you're not charged anything to come in, right? There's no one standing at the door who is the priest who says, all right, do you have something to offer? So for us, you know, a lot of us, it would be, you know, do you have money? Do you have a nice car you're going to donate? Do you have something like that before you can come in? And then we're going to inspect this car to make sure that you've not tampered with the odometer, that the engine looks good. No, we don't do anything like that. You come in freely, and that's all because of Christ. That's because of the new covenant. But we can think of the, the sacrificial system as being harsh. And, and 
something that we have to remember today because God does not change. Yahweh is always and forevermore will be holy, just, and perfect. If we do not fear God, it's because we do not know who He is. We're commanded throughout Scripture to fear the Lord. But for the ancient Israelites, it is a unique thing that they could come into God's presence and they were told to come into God's presence with joy. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 7, describes the attitude Israel should have when bringing sacrifices to God. This is what it says. And you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, and your tithes, and heave offerings of your hand, and your vows, and your freewill offerings, and the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks, and there you shall eat before the Lord your God. That's a reference to the peace offering there. Eat before the Lord your God, and ye shall rejoice in all that you put your hand unto, you and all your households, where the Lord your God has blessed you. So when you're bringing all these sacrifices, one thing he says that you should bring with the sacrifices is an attitude of joy. The worship of God through from the Old Covenant continuing into the New Covenant has been and should be always marked by joy. And particularly these first three offerings. These are a time for joy, for rejoicing in God's presence. So they were to not come in thinking, I'm a rotten, lousy person, and I'm going to try to give these, these, sacri these, these sacrifices, these offerings, so that I can feel better about myself. These were offerings of gratitude, of thanksgiving, that I can now come to God anytime. Now again, with the qualification that you are bringing the offering with you. Now while we don't bring offerings of this sort anymore, these two offerings can teach us how we can have joy as we approach the Almighty, both in worship and also in our everyday lives. So I want to begin by trying to apply the grain offering. Now there are several really interesting things we, we could talk about with the grain offering. For, for one, we know that it could not include honey or leaven. So that's, those are two, two ingredients that it can't have. And then it had to be offered with oil, or we know olive oil, and frankincense and salt. See, every ingredient that's mentioned in Scripture, everything that God commands taught Israel something about God Himself or about their relationship to Him. Everything. Now because this is not a lecture on Leviticus, I'm not going to drill down into all of these things now. But it's something hopefully we can look at later. But I can tell you this, everything has a purpose as we heard in Sunday school. Everything that's in God's Word, there's a reason. And 
they were not ignorant of these reasons. But I, I want to focus this morning just on salt. Salt has special significance in Scripture. In Numbers chapter 18, verse 19, it says, All the heave offerings of the holy things, which the children of Israel offer to the Lord, have I given thee and thy sons and thy daughters with thee by a statute forever. It is a covenant of salt before the Lord unto thee and unto thy seed with thee. And he talks about it being a covenant of salt in Leviticus chapter 2. He said in verse 13, You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. You say, well, why? I mean, yeah, we know salt makes things taste better. Salt makes all kinds of things taste better. That's not why they had to offer salt. God says that the salt reminded Israel of His covenant promise with them. That's why He called it a covenant in Numbers 18, 19. He said, it is a covenant of salt forever. It doesn't stop. Salt reminded them that they are in covenant with God. Because salt itself was a symbol of peace, of a binding relationship. If you ate a meal with someone in ancient times in which salt was present, in which the food had been salted, you were at peace. You had an agreement with this person. You would not harm his family. He would not harm your family. And if either of you broke that, then anyone, that person's household, or anyone else could sow your field with salt and it would be unfruitful forever. Or at least for a, quite a long time. Certainly unfruitful past your lifetime. You didn't want to break this salt covenant. Every time then someone would offer salt with one of these offerings, the grain offering and the other offerings, it was a reminder that they are in eternal covenant with God. Now we don't offer salt with sacrifices. We don't make sacrifices, thankfully. But when we come into His presence, we eat this communion meal. When we eat this meal, it is a reminder to us that God is for us. Do you need to hear that this morning? God is not. If you are submitted to Him, God is not opposed to you. He draws you. You belong to Him. He is with us. His promises are eternal. Do you ever feel like God has forgotten? Like maybe He's forgotten you? You have something that happens, or several things that happen, and you think, does anybody even know? Does God even know that... I'm going through this. 
He does. And He has given you reminders that you belong to Him. And one of those reminders should be the meal that we partake every week. That's one reason that we partake every week. It is a regular, a consistent reminder that I belong to God. And it's not temporary. The sacrifice of Christ is once for all. It is eternal. It will never go away. Because God is good. And because you belong to Him, you can rejoice when you eat the bread of the covenant. Because you also are made priests unto God. You are at peace with Him. Well, then the peace offering or the well-being offering, it also helps us to retain our joy. The grain offering reminds us that we are in covenant with God and that is unchanging. But the peace offering has, another, has a, a similar function for us. People would bring the offering when they were blessed. They were rejoicing that God caused them to flourish. Just the fact that God gave an opportunity for His people to come into His presence was new. Because think about the saints of old who came before this time. Could Abraham go into the presence of God whenever he chose? No. God came to him. But there was no way provided that Abraham... Yes, he could pray. Any Israelite could pray, but there was not a place where, where, where Yahweh said, my presence dwells here and you may come. No. Isaac couldn't. Jacob couldn't. Joseph couldn't. But now, any Israelite, from the least to the greatest, can come to God's presence. The door was open. So whenever we come before Him, we can come at any time and we can rejoice. We can give thanks when He blesses us. And we should. But what about when we are at a loss? How do we come before God when our life is low, when we are down? What do we do at that point? Yes, we remember that God is, is for us, that His covenant is with us, but just remembering what God has done does not give me my job back. It doesn't bring my spouse back or my children back. When things look dark, when I'm afraid of whatever may happen next because I have no clue, it seems like that there's three things that may happen and it's either bad, worse, or terrible. What do you do then? That's when we need to rejoice before God the most. Our old friend, the Apostle Paul, is again our guide. Just as he was a guide for us last week when we were talking about the whole burnt offering, he's a guide here as well. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 uses a lot of the language 
about rejoicing, about thanksgiving, and about coming into God's presence. We're told there in verse 4 to rejoice in the Lord always. Just like ancient Israel was told to rejoice when they would bring their sacrifices, their offerings unto Him. In verse 6, Philippians 4, 6, he says to be anxious for nothing, to be careful for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication make your request known to God with thanksgiving. Like the Israelites of old, when they were in doubt, they were told to come to God. Because God called Israel, He calls us as well to come before Him. But again, we pour out our heart to God. We pray, but we pray with thanksgiving. It is easy for us to pour out our complaints, and we should. But we don't stop there. To stop there is to miss the provision for God's peace. We do so with thanksgiving. The peace offering... As I said earlier, it is a Thanksgiving meal. So during hard times, what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to withdraw, to, to cloister off, to, to hide ourselves from one another, from our church family, sometimes not even come to church because nobody understands what I'm going through and I'm just going to have to put on a happy face and I don't feel like doing this. So the answer is for me to withdraw. And instead, he says, no, this is not the time to withdraw. That's when we need our brothers and sisters the most. Now I'm not saying when you have trouble, the answer is throw a huge party. Although there are worse ideas. Seriously. But I'm not saying that that's a requirement. But when you are low, we need to come to God in prayer, but also come giving thanks and to rejoice with others. You say, but that's not what I feel like. And your feelings are lying to you. Faith means often acting contrary to our feelings. And this is not just a new covenant concept. David talks about this in Psalm 116. In Psalm 116, he is giving thanks, but he's, he's remembering where he was, the difficult times that he was facing. Psalm 116, verses 3 and 4 says, The pains of death surrounded me. The pangs of shale laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. So he's in the midst of great turmoil and great trouble. And then in the following verses, he remembers in the past what God has done to deliver him. But then he says in verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. This sacrifice of thanksgiving is not just some awesome wordplay. That's a direct reference to what is going on in the Levitical system. David is saying, when I am in the greatest trouble, that's the time to offer to God a thanksgiving sacrifice, to bring before Him an offering. And yes, we today do this with the fruit of our lips. 
So when we're facing the temptation to anxiety, and because we have all kinds of situations that are happening to us, we feel like withdrawing, like being quiet, like only complaining, we're told, rejoice. Don't be anxious, but pray. And pray with thanksgiving. And then, of course, God's peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart. You do not bring an offering to God to gain His peace. His peace is not dependent on your gifts. He calls you, though, to come before Him to offer your thanksgiving and pour out your prayer because that is the place where He meets with us. That's where we, that's where we receive the peace of God is when we call upon His name. And we do so with thanksgiving. The offering has been provided. The offering is our Savior, Jesus. He calls us to come through Christ today. So, saints, bring your strengths, your blessings to God. Bring your joys, but also bring your sorrows. Bring your anxiety, your burdens. Bring it all. There's nothing that will surprise Him or, or that, that will catch Him or will say, hmm, can't help that one this time. No, bring everything to Him. Come into His presence. Bring it to Him with thanksgiving. His covenant with you is sure and steadfast. He will hear and He will answer. And His peace, not anything you can manufacture, but God's peace will guard your heart and mind. Whatever your needs are, He can provide. So come into His presence and rejoice in faith at the goodness of God. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank You for the provision of Christ our Savior. I pray that we would now come before You and we would come before You at all times rejoicing and giving thanks and that Your peace would guard our heart and mind. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.